0: Hello.
1: Hey Joey, how you doing man?
0: Hello Jacob. This is going to be the uh, Ultimate Skate Nerd Podcast. I feel
1: like I'm on the Tom Green show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tom, oh, just because of the Canada thing?
1: No, no, he, he does exactly the same thing when, uh, when he gets people on, on the mic on air.
0: Oh yeah, he's smart that he did the first... Uh, he did one of the first, like, live shows not attached to any network streaming.
1: Yeah, I remember. It was pretty awesome.
0: Smart of him. Smart of him. So this is officially, like, a skate nerd podcast from beginning uh, to end. But right. we'll, we'll, we'll delve into many we're different... We're rolling in- now, are we? We're rolling. Okay. Um, did, did my, does my voice sound different on, on podcast?
1: Well no because I've only ever heard you on podcasts.
0: Oh yeah, so- that's true.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I want to start. I have I have some notes written down because you have a profile on mushroomblading.com kind of interview thing that yeah, yeah. delves into a lot of ideas that we're going to go into. Um and if anybody hasn't read that, they should read it before they they do the podcast. If if you're wondering who jacob is because he's someone who's always influenced my thoughts on skating with his thoughts on skating um it's always good to have someone outside of any industry ties who's just passionate about attaching wheels to feet and that's kind of where we'll jump off here um i always think about how awesome attaching wheels to my feet can be and how fun it is yeah but the entire uh culture surrounding it. I mean I'm a thirty year old man who loves to use what what are called rollerblades, but um I don't really connect with anything in rollerblading or or aggressive skating anymore. Um is it hard for I mean, do you get frustrated that we're still using rollerblades and that aggressive skating is still around and we're coming on I don't know, how long has the rollerblade been around? Twenty years?
1: Yeah, a little bit longer, but um well, I'll, I'll answer that question in the shortest way I can, and it's probably not going to be very short, but. That's fine. I started uh, on rollerblades in 92, I think it was. And there just really wasn't a, a uniform culture to speak of. There were just random people from all walks of life that, you know, had really fallen in love with this idea of putting skates on and rolling around and seeing what was possible and what they could do. Uh, And that's the time where I really fell in love with it too. So my idea of how the culture was going to develop and what people were going to think of when they heard the word rollerblading or when they were presented with rollerblading was very, very broad compared to what we have here in the U.S. now and what we've had for quite some time in the world, I guess, which feeds off the culture in the U.S. to a large part. So, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say I'm frustrated with it. I just would like to see it be a lot more diverse and a lot broader, as was, you know, my impression or my vision for what it could become twenty years ago.
0: And um, you said in the strike write-up that's on the uh, mushroom blading article mm-hmm. um, that rollerblades were originally. I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but. Rollerblades originally, it was an ice skate, or dry land training tool. Was the beginning of it.
1: Well, yeah. The, the story goes that uh, Scott Olson and his brother, I think, uh, saw like a really old, archaic, you know, basically made in some dude's garage pair of these in a sporting goods store, and it kind of piqued their interest. So they started looking into developing it as not so much an alternate not so much an alternative to roller skates, but a summer training tool for ice skates. You know, so all these people who live in, like, whatever, Midwest or or northern U.S. states that play a lot of ice hockey in the winter, in the summer, you know, they weren't going to go and put on roller skates, or they weren't going to, you know, play football or whatever. They wanted to put these on and keep practicing hockey. So... So the story goes.
0: So would you say, um, even the way that skates is, have developed now, there's been some good innovations, but do you think um, it's still very primitive, the way that the the frame works with the boot, that it's still like a... If, if you were to try and adapt ice skates into jumping stairs and uh, doing grinds and aerial maneuvers and things, wouldn't they be kind of clunky? Because ice skates were originally just designed to use on flat ground. There was... No reason to jump in them or anything like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, um, I'm kind of in two minds about this because there's a real beauty in the way that we have developed skating. We have taken the hardware that we had available to us and we've modified it, we've jimmy-rigged it, we've you know, done whatever we had to, sometimes in the cheapest, nastiest ways imaginable, to get done the tricks that we want to do. And I think we owe a lot of that to the, uh, the, the design of the uh, original Rollerblade Lightning skate. Uh, and, you know, not long after that, the, the first Lightning TRS skate. We're still using the same basic principles that were on that skate to make our skates today. You know, you use a molded plastic boot, you use a hinged cuff, you put one buckle on the cuff, you put laces on the boot, uh, four wheels in line on the frame, rigidly mounted, and there you go. You know? The only things that have really changed are wheel diameter, uh, maybe, you know, wheelbase and split. Um, there's a few different construction methods, but beyond something like the remedies boot or something like the shadow boot, really basically the same skate today. And don't
0: you find that surprising though that rollerblades have been around for that long and ice skates had been around i don't even know how long have ice skates been around for
1: uh, i'm gonna guess a few hundred years
0: <laughs> that's a long time for nobody to start to challenge the new design and that thing that i posted um in a comment stream on our facebook page where someone had broken down why um inline skates have some limitations and it was uh they put it out. You probably remember it better than I yeah, do. Yeah. Ice skates have a little bit of a glide, right? On or a side to side glide, and um, inline skates you you ha- can only do like larger turns, and there's no uh, wheel give in terms of the side to side glide, like um, like uh, ice skates do. And then roller skates have a little bit of that, right? The roller skate design.
1: I I can't remember the specifics of it, but. The thing that really caught me about it was that this guy was speaking about how the skate interacts with the surface. And that's the part that I'm really interested in. You know, I I don't think too much about boots and how a boot, you know, fits with the foot and works with the ankle. Uh, You know, there's people doing a better job of that, and it's not really what I'm interested in. But the idea of how the wheels, you know, interact with the pavement how the ice skate blade interacts with the ice things like that uh, i'm very very interested in and i understood what he was saying we still haven't really confronted what makes a roller skate work well that we really haven't incorporated into inline skate design yet
0: i remember when i tried roller skating for the first time um we i think we had drinks in calgary somewhere and uh uh, the way that the boot <laughs> – it, it was after filming for with uh, Dallas and them.
1: I like where this story is going. <laughs> and uh,
0: I remember uh, how instant, instantly – because Nima right now, he was almost exclusively on roller skates for the last little bit. There was something about the way that the skates felt that I felt like a little bit more free in movement in some ways from uh-huh. uh, side to side. And uh, obviously, you're skating on a flat surface and dancing. But I remember getting made fun of uh, by Mason that I was so into roller skating that it made him uncomfortable in terms of like in terms of like how easy and fun they are to dance in while you're skating. Oh. Um, so so. Much pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Like yeah, it made a couple people uncomfortable. How much fun I had roller skating! And have you tried roller skates? In oh man,
1: of- I was on roller skates from when I was very, very young. So even though I say I started rollerblading in '92, I probably had a pair of roller skates when I was like four or five or something. And so
0: was it's uh, the boot design of roller skates allows for more ankle flex, but obviously you said you're not interested as much in that. But that's well, where
1: think, for a moment. For a moment, think about the difference between inline skates and roller skates as being similar to the difference between a motorcycle and a car. Okay, yeah. Because a motorcycle has that lean, you have to accommodate for the fact that it's leaning, whereas with a, with a roller skate and with a car, you have a very flat, solid platform that really isn't going anywhere. So a roller skate doesn't need the ankle support that a roller blade needs because... You're not going to lean it over anywhere near as easily, you know. Yeah. And every Co- time you land, you get a very stable platform. Like even if you're jumping on roller skates, every time you land, you know your foot's going to come down, you know, on a on a basically a level platform. You yeah. Know, you don't need the ankle support.
0: Yeah, and the trucks—they—is that what they're called on roller skates? Yeah. Trucks. They do they flex a little bit, or I can't. Uh.
1: uh
0: they don't flex, do they? Like like there's, a skateboard truck?
1: When you say flex, do you mean like like the rubbers, the cushions? Like,
0: uh, yeah, it almost feels like there's a really, really light suspension on it that when you... I can't even uh, uh, remember the last time I tried roller skates, but... It's, it's
1: It's a stretch to call it suspension because there's basically zero travel there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess you could. There's a little bit of cushioning.
0: And the wheel standard is the same... ...as a skateboard wheel or similar in terms of the width on roller skate wheels?
1: I'm pretty sure the majority of roller skate wheels use a different bearing standard. But it's not very different. Um, It might be a little narrower. I don't know. Because, I mean, you've got eight of them on the ground instead of just four.
0: Yeah. So then this leads me to the big thing that I I posted that's been messing with me constantly (laughs) recently. And it was a simple uh, idea in terms of how it can translate into skates, I was thinking about Walkman, Discman, iPod, right? And then, Yeah, I
1: thought that was a real good analogy. (laughs) And
0: then the jump from uh, Discman to iPod is something that nobody could even imagine unless someone was crazy enough to make it. So roller skate... Oh, go ahead.
1: Think of like the mid-80s, right? 85, 86, whatever. And some guy's got a Walkman and he's pretty happy with it. Yeah you could explain to that guy what a discman was, you know? Yeah. Because people who know LPs or people who know laser discs, it's not a it's not a stretch to understand what a compact disc is. But to try and, like, hold up an iPod Nano to a guy in 1985 and say, oh, I listen to all my music through this, he's just not going to be able to conceive what's going on. He's going to be like, well, you know, I don't want, like, a little six-second... Uh, you know diddy I want like to listen to a whole bunch of different music and you say to him oh well there's twelve thousand songs on this <laughs> he's gonna be like get the fuck out there's you're lying to me there's no way Exactly so So but- you, you you can't you can't go like you were saying you can't go straight from Walkman to iPod because it's kind of it's too much of a quantum leap. People aren't gonna follow, people aren't gonna support it. You need to take it one step at a time.
0: Well, and I had a mini-disc player, and and I liked it for some reasons. Um, but once I had an iPod, it made my mini-disc obsolete. So no one's even really trying to make uh, the mini-disc of Rollerblades right now.
1: Um, it's... There's probably a lot of people trying, and it's not making ripples, or it's not making noise. Um... I don't think that there's any interest or any investment from the the bigger companies, the bigger manufacturers in finding stuff that's significantly different to what they're already doing. And this is the point that I was making about the, the Lightning TRS. You know, that was a skate that was made in the late 80s and you can pretty much hold that skate up next to skates that Power Slide and Sunshine are making today and have no trouble recognizing it at all. Whereas, like we said a moment ago, if you held an iPod Nano up to the guy from 20 years ago with his Walkman, he's not even going to know what it is.
0: That That's true. And when you use skates, because I get this feeling all the time, and, and um, Todd tries to uh, stray away from this, but I, I obsess over it, that somehow like the way that skating has evolved in certain directions, they're almost... It, the skate doesn't... could work better with uh, certain <laughs> styles of skating. And that's where I start to get really frustrated uh, thinking that people should be making more uh, weird ideas. The... Di- or the... Yeah. The mini-disc. That's where the mini-disc comes in. But... um, and And for the record, myself and Jacob, we have no ties... To any company, so we can say whatever we want, and I and I feel like that's such an annoying part of uh, the Todd always talks about on the podcast the marketing behind the same old design, right? Dressed up in a different way, it yeah, just keep, yeah. It keeps going on and on and on. What would it take for uh, for someone tied to a company or a company to listen to uh, a pitch on a design or? How do you even begin to, if someone had an idea for a mini disc or they think they have the idea for an iPod, is it even set up that it's possible to go to a bigger company and them to listen to?
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to try and be as, as understanding uh, about the situation as I can uh, with, with what I'm going to say here. There's, there's plenty of people in the role-leading industry like that. You know, Cardo has innovated some great stuff as far as remedies is concerned. Tom Heiser, that guy's got a bunch of ideas. And just to use those two as examples, they're both, you know, employed or at least in positions of influence with pretty large companies as far as getting those ideas put into production and made, you know. You and me both are waiting on Physics 2 to come out with a Rollblade logo on it. Um, so without me knowing the reality of the situation, I've got to look at what's happening and ask myself, well, why isn't that happening? Why isn't that happening? And here's my hypothesis. Here's my idea on why it's not happening. Tom Heiser wants it to happen rollerblade theoretically would like to do it as long as it's going to sell and as long as it's going to make money but from their understanding and their market research of the people who are potentially going to buy these things they've crunched the numbers and it just doesn't add up it's just not going to make money so although all that stuff is on the shelf and ready to go and all the designs are already done it never gets done because once the numbers are crunched, it's not going to work. It's not going to make money. And I think that comes back to the rollerblading community and the prevailing attitudes and the culture that we have. It's not supporting growth. It's still in decline. We're still we're still living that, that same old story, that same old identity of what rollerblades are good for and what rollerblading can ideally be and it doesn't have a future so there's no short in my in my mind there's no shortage of guys out there in positions to get the job done with great designs ready to put out there but you know the bean counters at those companies are saying we can't do it we can't justify it we're we're going to lose money our company's going to go down why why make that risk
0: and that that's so true, and uh, I don't think that will ever change like uh, in terms of if if you make an agreement to uh, work for a company that's that's larger than you and you have a position to um, make stuff it's always going to be changed because of the the numbers it's always going to have to be but it doesn't that mean that um, the the teeny bopper culture per se that the things that are marketed or the market for skating has always just remained the same and hasn't actually grown that um you kind of touch on this in in the interview that there's a lot of older skaters who aren't really into the marketing aspect like we know the color technology is silly and we kind of see through the whole marketing thing um that's where I start to think, like, wouldn't there have to just be an entirely new industry? Like, this this, <laughs> this whole thing is, seems to be so screwed that there's not even one amazing thing that could happen within it that would change it. Because people like you and myself or, or older skaters that I talk to, we always think that there would be one thing that could happen. But it seems to be the same stuff happening even in the past decade, I remember, having, like, the same conversations over the past decade. That. yeah
1: well think think back to what i said a moment ago about uh about scott Olson, right so S- scott Olson has got this this quote-unquote new kind of roller skate where the wheels are all in one line and it's you know it's a pretty decent training tool for ice hockey players in summer but he's looking at it and he thinks you know i think this thing's got some potential beyond that i think there's a lot of ways that roller skating didn't work for People that this rollerblade might work for people, and I couldn't agree more. Because let me just go off on a tangent for a moment. Definitely.
0: When,
1: when I when I started rollerblading, um, this is '92. It was because uh, my you know my gang, the kids I hung out with after school, um, they all got a pair. You know, my next door neighbors on both sides, and the kid down the street all got a pair of rollerblades. And at the time, I was riding around on BMX bikes. Um, And they're like, oh, you know, get a pair, get a pair of rollerblades, come rollerblading with us. I'm like, "Uh, you know what, Uh, I'm really not interested in that, but I want to hang out with you guys, so I'll come on my BMX bike. And it kind of worked okay for a little while, but not for very long. And I'm like, well, you know, I want to do what these guys are doing, so I've got an old pair of roller skates, you know, in in the wardrobe from when I was 12 or whatever. I'll, um... I'll put a bigger pair of shoes on the roller skate plates and I'll go and I'll roller skate with my mates on their roller blades. So I did that for about a week and that wasn't working either. Cause they could go in a bunch of places that were way too rough and way too sketchy for the roller skates to even roll around. And they were already starting to do, you know, tricks, you know, rolling downstairs and jumping downstairs and all that kind of stuff. And trying to do that on roller skates in the same way just was not happening. So, so a kid at my school was selling a pair secondhand. I got them off him. All of a sudden I'm rollerblading with my mates after school and it just clicked. It made sense perfectly. Here is a skate design that works better for what we want to do than what your traditional quad roller skate works in the same situation. So um, so I was sold. Back to what I was saying about uh Carlson. Yeah. So Scott Olson has realized like oh wow there's a lot of potential this thing has that roller skates didn't have and he goes out and he starts marketing these things to everyone like he doesn't he doesn't decide to convince roller skaters that he's got a better roller skate for them he goes and tries to convince just ordinary people everyone that this is a better way to go and it's probably one of the huge success stories of the of the 90s That he was able to turn, you know, what's a pretty ordinary piece of sporting equipment or, you know, whatever you want to call it, a toy, a vehicle, whatever, he was able to turn it into this, you know, this huge community of people and this huge movement, this huge fad. He was able to do that. So, the point in that very long winded story is that I don't necessarily think the answer is to pitch. The you know the iPod of skates, the mini disc of skates. I don't think the idea is to pitch that at just rollerbladers, because in order for it to become something greater, it kind of needs to set its sights a little higher than just convincing, you know, the the maybe one million people worth worldwide <laughs> who are going to be rollerblading for the rest of their lives, no matter what. That uh, you know, that there's a, a better escape for them to do it
0: home, and that's where I start to think uh, there's companies, you know, that need to market rollerblades <laughs> to try and almost repackage, remarket rollerblades. Is that uh, there's there's really nothing that you could do to convince the world that to get rollerblades again? Well, in was- my mind.
1: There's a couple of companies that are trying, and I think trying pretty respectably to do this. I know that Tom Heiser, uh, you know, went out on a limb and was making those uh, uh, UFS frames with the big wheels set up on them, you know, the the free skate frames. I don't know if it was his design or not, but I remember, uh, you know, the the promotional edits and stuff they were putting out. And, you know, from the perspective of being, you know, one of us it kind of looks pretty lame, you know, it looks pretty gay to want to go out and do that. But it's appealing to a broader audience. And what with uh, Power Slide and this new um, rec skate line that they're going to be doing around the, the new shadow boot, great idea. I don't know why they didn't jump on it earlier, you know. It's like, it's like 10 years after they bought the molds, they realized that, oh, hey, people can put any shoe they want in this uh, boot.
0: I thought I thought that was smart.
1: <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was pretty apparent a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> well, Shane, Shane and Dustin must have been designing this skate what fifteen years ago?
0: Oh yeah, there was a story that Shane Coburn had uh, like a snowboard binding with a cutout TRS boot, trying to slide a bar. Like I think yeah, that design must have been around forever.
1: What I'm getting at is the the concept that you could transition somewhat seamlessly between being just an ordinary, sedentary person walking in and out of clubs, bars, parties, whatever, and it would only take you, you know, five seconds, ten seconds to throw the skates on and be skating and the same length of time to pull them off. I mean, that's what... You look at something like uh, BMX or skateboarding or scootering or anything like that these people have the ability to get on and off their vehicle and that is in and out of their their culture at a moment's notice they can switch between the two seamlessly effortlessly you know if you're on a skateboard and you get into trouble for skateboarding you kick the skateboard up and grab it and walk problem solved we've either got to sit down and take the skates off or you know run away skate away and get chased <laughs> <laughs> this this, brings, this up brings up such a such larger, a larger issue. issue. And people have been saying forever, oh, it's a lifestyle. Well, it's not really a lifestyle if it takes that length of time to seg between the two. You know what I mean?
0: Definitely. I think the biggest issue with rollerblades and people using them is they're so fucking dangerous. It's Your foot... Okay, so on a bike or on a skateboard... You can use your the natural motion of your foot. Like you can, uh, the biggest thing what I'm getting to is speed control on on rollerblades is yeah. very difficult to learn. In fact, it's 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 a very uh, advanced thing. You'd have to be rollerblading for a very long time to learn like kind of a a hockey stop motion and to be used to your wheels gliding to the side a little bit like on ice skates. But even then. Between ice skates and and rollerblades, the reason why they're such a punchline and such, like, people relate, like, oh, it's kind of faggy and and gay and awkward and dorky is they kind of reinforce an awkward uh, body position to anyone who tries them for the first time. Your foot and ankle is locked in. You can't really do a lot apart from, like, do a weird walking motion. Todd and I were even talking about, like, you know when you walk on, like, grass in rollerblades or like when you're trying to walk upstairs in ski boots there's like this really lame looking body position and um it comes back to the idea that ice skates to like if you had to jump up or jump off of a curb on ice skates it would look kind of funny if you were just learning how to do it so do you think speed control that like the brakes on rollerblades that's that might be one of the biggest design humps.
1: Yeah, this is, this is what that guy was getting at that you quoted uh, uh, as far as the, the action of ice skates and roller skates and roller blades and the shortcomings of the roller blades. Um, speed control. When, when you're going down a hill on a pair of roller blades, you have exceeded the design capability of the skate. Because by definition, ice is always flat, right? If you're going to go go skate on a frozen lake, if you're going to go skate at an ice skating rink, if you're going to go and play ice hockey, if you're going to do any of those things, by definition, the ice is flat. And the skate is designed to work on flat ice. Now, I understand that there are people in certain situations who will find themselves on ice skating on a slope, um, I can't imagine the skill it takes to actually do that, but uh, the point I'm trying to make is that anytime you're on a pair of rollerblades and you're going down a hill, you have exceeded what the skate was designed to do. And trying to control your speed without the necessity of changing your stance, changing your flow, and going into like the emergency braking procedure on a pair of rollerblade skates. It's very, very difficult to do. That's another thing that doesn't happen smoothly. Uh, So, you know, not only do you have the the five or ten minutes it takes you to put a pair of skates on and off, but now going down a hill, you've got to try and transition between rolling straight down the hill, carving down the hill like a skier, putting yourself into, you know, a stance where you can get the brake pad on the ground and... I think we're looking at a very large part of the reason here why rollerblading was a fad. It's very unfortunate in, in our immediate uh, rollerblading culture, you know, aggressive skating or whatever you want to call it, that in the mid-90s, we started hearing how rollerblading was easy. And the real tragedy is a lot of us believed it. Um, it was just what needed to be said to win the war. and. They did win the war, you know, but the fact they were able to convince rollerbladers that rollerblading was easy really is sad because everyone that I have ever spoken to outside of our community and outside of our culture either thinks that it looks so hard that they're never going to try or they tried it and they failed and that's why they quit. because they kept kept failing.
0: There's a lot of people who have horrific falling on rollerblade stories and then they never touch them again.
1: This is exactly what I'm saying. As far as hills are concerned, forget the the flat ground failures where they didn't learn it or they hurt themselves and they quit. The hill failures are catastrophic. We're talking about people who had gravel rash so bad. They're in the hospital getting the wire brush treatment. We're talking about people that ran headlong into like... You know, uh, crossing traffic—it's insane. It's insane to look at what is possible, what what could possibly go wrong. As soon as you point a pair of rollerblades down a hill, and to picture the number of people that it went wrong for, and how much that hurt them—not only physically but psychologically—as far as, well, fuck, I'm never doing that again, <laughs> never rollerblading again.
0: And that I think that's where a lot of people are. That rollerblades are. Uh, without a lot of... I mean, we kind of know that you go into any thrift store anywhere in the world and you'll see rollerblades. Um, every major comedian, it seems like, it's a punchline. The word rollerblades <laughs> has become an easy punchline to an audience. And uh, this is where, again, with, with the the iPod thing, um, if, if it was to reemerge It would have to be named a new thing it would be a new technology
1: um i i I like the idea of that because i agree exactly with what you just said the negative connotations attached to the word rollerblading uh they're not coming off no they're not coming off now it doesn't mean that we have to carry those negative connotations around with us everywhere we go we can still be proud of what we do. We can still enjoy what we do, um, but the idea of marketing or presenting some new skate, some new style of skating to the general public and literally calling it rollerblading—you know—it it would be—it would be like a person identifying themselves as a Nazi. Like you have already dug your own grave. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> It's already over. You you name your kid Adolf. His life is over. How much you like the name?
0: <laughs> That's very true. I remember one time you broke it down: um, <laughs> uh, skateboarding, uh, snowboarding.
1: Oh yeah, the the naming conventions.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I always think that free skating is the closest thing to what it what rollerblading yeah. could reemerge as.
1: Let me let me see if I can remember this well enough to uh, to get it across to the listeners. Um, it was probably a it was probably a post X Games thing where you know ESPN and the machine behind them started looking at well you know we've got to try and incorporate all these people under one umbrella you know they're all basically doing the same thing they're all basically doing you know extreme sports or action sports or whatever. But they wanted certain conventions that were standard across the board you know if you look at if you look at the term rollerblading for what we do it, it's really nonsensical if you had to try and explain to a Martian who just landed in a UFO what rollerblading meant it would become the most convoluted explanation ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, the reason that you're doing it is you're trying to differentiate what we do from what roller skaters do and they were trying to differentiate what they did from what ice skaters did and even all those are basically the same action what's changing is the surface rather than the hardware right? and if you look at the board sports they've got this all sorted out right? surfboarding is the action of boarding on surf, right? So you've got the surface you're performing it on, and you've got the action, surfboarding, right? Yeah. And then you've got snowboarding, that's all worked out, right? Um, wakeboarding kind of works, sandboarding, whatever. The point I'm trying to make is the convention there is set. The surface comes first and then the action comes second. This is where skateboarding is in a really weird position. Because the action of skateboarding is boarding. It's got nothing to do with skating. Although you've got the same hardware on the board as what's on a pair of skates, you're not performing the action of skating. The action of skating is what should come second, and the surface first. Ice skating. You know, uh, grass skating, if that were possible. Roller skating. Water skating, if that were possible. You don't need to call it roller skating, though, because you're going to put the surface first. It would be be road skating. It would be street skating.
0: Street skating, yeah.
1: It would be land skating, whatever. And I don't know why they wouldn't go so far as to think of skateboarding as being street surfing, sidewalk surfing. That was kind of how it was originally thought. So obviously, that's... A name that they looked at to try and get rid of the negative connotations that surfing had imposed on their culture. You know, we forget that in the in the fifties and in the sixties, someone who skateboarded is someone who didn't have the skill to be a surfer. You know, oh, that's easy. You know, you don't have to you don't have to catch the wave. All you need to do is just stand on it. And you're on you know, the street. It doesn't matter. You're a sidewalk surfer. We're mocking you because you're not as good as us, you're not as talented as us. And none of that's true anyway, but they had to deal with the same thing, and the way they dealt with it was by removing those connotations of being related to surfing from their name. But uh,
0: I, And skateboarding is just such a snappy name. Like In terms of the, a marketable name, it's got a nice sound uh, to it.
1: I, I think maybe it just sounds that way because it's been marketed. You know, what yeah, I that's true. That's true. I think there's it, probably a lot of names that sounded really retarded when they were first heard, but whatever, you know, group of people made it work. All of a sudden, that's a cool name.
0: You like know? an iPod.
1: Like, uh, like the Beatles. <laughs> I'm sure when those when those four guys first said, "Like, you know what? We're going to be called the Beatles." I'm sure they got laughed and pointed at and everyone said they were losers, you know. Well, and that's where <laughs> you start to... to but you start to make work. such good music that you actually make the name cool, you know.
0: That's where... Uh, I mean, what makes something stick, right? <laughs> how, how do you know... If rollerblading was to stick again, what would have to be behind it to make it stick? I don't think – I think the word rollerblading – like have we come to this conclusion in this conversation that the word rollerblading only means one thing to the mass, that you can't actually turn the word rollerblading over anymore, can you?
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you can't. It's just going to take a long time. Well, and I mean do – think, think about it this way. When, when people hear the word rollerblading today as, as a punchline, it's funny because of stuff that happened like 15 years ago definitely now now if it's if it's still a punchline in another 15 years and they're still laughing they're going to be laughing at something that happened 30 years ago whether or not that's going to happen i don't know but the point i'm making is it's going to take like what is it going to take to make it not a punchline now and is that is that necessary is that necessary? I mean, if, if you're talking about... I mean, people people probably were laughing at roller disco for a long time as well, you know? People getting dressed up like, like John Travolta in the 70s, but being on roller skates, that probably got laughed at all the way through the 80s, you know? And maybe now we're at a point where people can look back and be like, oh, roller disco, you know, I, really don't, I really don't have any concept of what that means, so it's not funny anymore... But rollerblading didn't need to deal with that because it was, quote-unquote, something different, even though it was very much the same, you know?
0: Well, roller skates are on a—just uh, through derby alone, that um, in Seattle, more people hold season's tickets for derby than <laughs> they do season's tickets for the local hockey team in Kamloops. In well, terms yeah, of but,
1: like- but you can see that roller derby, the way that it's done today— is the antithesis of what roller skating was in the 70s.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and maybe that's what makes it popular is that people can look at it today and say, "We wanted to keep roller skating, but we didn't want people to look at us like we were a bunch of disco jerks. So now we're going to put on like, you know, black makeup and knee pads and go out and try and kill each other."
0: It also had a mainstream Hollywood film, just like how lots of women got into surfing after Blue Crush. Whip It came out and Derby exploded. In a place like Kamloops, Derby exploded from a, from a cultural reference point, kind of like what and I like to call it.
1: The, the really cool thing that we're realizing now in this part of the conversation is that the action of skating is awesome regardless of what culture is attached to it, regardless of what, of what image you, you put on it. The action itself, people want to do it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's an incredible, it's an incredible feeling. It's a great thing to do. That's never going to change, regardless of whether you're on, you know, roller skates or roller blades or whatever's going to come next. If you're still performing that action, that you know, wheels attached to your feet motion, you're loving it. And this isn't true of just, of just us, of just a, a cult community. This is true of everyone. People want to do it. But they don't want to have to deal with all that that negative connotation and that cultural junk that perhaps they don't identify with. And they're not going to.
0: This is where it gets absolutely insane. That I feel like in ten years' time, um, if it isn't if it isn't older skaters trying to come up with uh, new ways to make skates or frames or something like that, we're going to be watching. The same marketing videos with new names, <laughs> with kind of the same skates, and we're gonna go through a whole other pool of talent that doesn't really skate anymore, and we'll be it'll they'll be talking about the Blading Cup that'll have maybe the same amount of people going to it. Do you know what I, like that that repetitious thing that keeps happening? Um, uh, what would <laughs> what would it take for do you think there's anything that could change in, in that structure of, uh, I, I just feel like that the ship is sinking, I've heard before. like It feels <laughs> like the ship is sinking and everyone's still on it. And um, a lot of the best hints and clues I have ever got about the act of skating and the culture has been from people who have no involvement with it whatsoever.
1: Yeah, well... The, the way I see that, and I've ranted more than enough about this, <laughs> but the way I see that is, you know, even even though guys like you and I will push the boundaries and find some different setups and some different terrain and some, some different ways of, you know, stretching our, our, our discipline on skates, we're still pretty much aggressive skaters. You know what I mean? you and Mm -hmm. me still pretty much identify with that culture, that community, and regardless of, you know, the fact that I'll put downhill skates or racing skates or whatever on my feet, it's still obvious that I'm not one of them, you know, and we we really trace our cultural roots back to Senate and their rise from, let's say, 93... Grew until about 98 or 99 and it was it was Senate that was creating or at least you know dictating the culture and the identity of what it meant to be an aggressive skater what it meant to be one of us during that time period which was also the time period where aggressive skating was huge and growing even huger and there was a there was just this very powerful energy and very powerful drive associated with it and although I've never fully agreed with a lot of the moves that were being made at that time I loved that energy and I loved that drive you could go out and you could find an event where you'd get together with you know 50 or 100 skaters And you would learn, like, an incredible number of new tricks, new skills, new styles, new ways of doing stuff on your skates. And compared to other activities, you know, similar activities that I had been involved with, uh, motocross, water skiing, BMX, skateboarding, whatever, compared to all of those, that drive and that energy was very, very addictive. So, fast forward to beyond 98 99 beyond the downfall of Senate and that was gone for a lot of us and we had to try and salvage how it was that we were going to move on from here you know like what what pieces can i pick up off the ground and put back together and keep experiencing skating the way that i've been experiencing it for the last you know 5 or 6 years and i feel like we're still doing that i feel like we're still trying to to salvage what skating was in the 90s and it's only the really young guys that aren't doing that and they're the real inspiration today you know the real inspiration today is watching these guys who who don't know all that stuff and it doesn't make any difference to them they're going to go out and skate anyway but even though they have that spirit they're still taking lead from the older guys they're still taking lead from the guys that remember all that so it's possible that those younger guys are literally reenacting and recreating the same old story without even realizing it. So long story short, we need a new story. We need a new a new place, a new identity.
0: That's where it gets uh, really interesting because um, there's been, you know, there's sections and tricks that are a decade old or more and styles of skating that you can use as a reference that, um, hold up today. There's timeless styles and timeless sections. And I I really think it comes down to not being completely avant-garde or weird, but someone like Dustin Latimer, his second word section, I mean, who has come out with a section that's at the top of their game or career or whatever, and goes that far with skating, like I I I always say when I watched that section I didn't even really understand it for the first I was too I was too young to even get it and it was like to know that that was probably the most influential thing for me saying that you can really take it in a weird direction I mean I I always hope for someone else to maybe do that but uh, the the way that the mar- the way that the marketing machine works in skating a lot of Dustin Latimer fans Stuck to coupe de tat, Dustin Latimer.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I wasn't really even paying attention until then. Like, I remember I remember late 90s when I was still living back in Brisbane, you know, and there was the, the crew of uh, street skaters and, you know, guys that you'd go out and session with on a regular basis. And a lot of times I would end up meeting them somewhere before a session and they'd be watching Dustin Latimer sections out of videos, you know. They'd be watching elements sections or medium video sections or whatever. And it never really did much for me. And it's funny that I bring up medium there because Shane was doing a good job of getting a very diverse team on medium. You know, you could watch a medium video and see a dozen sections from a dozen skaters that were all entirely different. And I really liked that. Um,
0: but, oh, and skating really lacks that today, but that's a
1: but watching thing. But watching Dustin's sections at those times... At that time wasn't really doing it for me it wasn't until brain fear gone that i really kind of you know raised an eyebrow because and i'm not putting words into his mouth when i say this i hope but because he had reached a point where he didn't give a fuck about the standard anymore right it wasn't about oh i need to add an extra half spin onto this rail or you know, oh, I need to make sure that I grab it when I jump off. That, that formula of progression that so many skaters follow in, in, in the quest of becoming better, he, he had just given that the finger. He would said, you know what, fuck that. I'm just going to put a piece of board on the last few stairs of this, you know, 20-stair uh, gap, and I'm not going to jump the gap. I'm going to jump and land on the board on the last two stairs.
0: Oh, that trick's amazing. Yeah.
1: It's, not even, it's not even that the trick's amazing. I mean, him having the talent to make all this stuff work, that's awesome. But it's not even the trick that's amazing. It's, it's the mentality to do that. It's, it's that, that movement in your brain that says, you know what? Fuck the hen, Raoul. I'm going to go and make a spot. And I'm going to do a trick, not that anyone else can't do, but that they can't even think of. And that's what was so awesome about watching Brain Fear Gone or watching Words, watching what Dustin had begun doing. He was in the sections. He was mastering tricks and mastering styles and, you know, talents that other people couldn't even think of. And I'm amazed that, what is it now, 10 years maybe? 10 years afterwards? I'm amazed you can still watch that section and see tricks that other people have barely dabbled with. Absolutely. I remember, Absolutely. It, I remember in, in the couple of years afterwards, you could see a few skaters here and there that had the talent to do some of the same tricks that Dustin had been doing in in words. But they didn't really have that, that mentality or that creativity to be like, you know what, I'm going to go out and create whole new ways of skating, whole new ways of looking at what these things are good for. Um, and one of the only sections since I can think that gave me the same feeling that you would get watching what Dustin did in words is seeing, like, the Matthew Ludeau uh, park sections.
0: Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I've always put those two together, the words section, brain fear gone, mainly the words for me and when I first saw Matthew Ledoux, in terms of someone who makes you think way outside the box... Um, and then, what is it about? Okay, so Dustin starts skating like that. Matthew comes comes along. Why are why does that not become some of the biggest that diversity thing? Why 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 would Matthew Ledoux not become one of the biggest names?
1: Well, this is kind of what I was saying about uh, pitching pitching new styles and new ways of skating to broader audiences. Um what, what really shocked me when Matthew Lodeau came on the scene was that, A, Shadow didn't put him, you know, on the payroll immediately, and, B, that they didn't start presenting what he was capable of on the skates to people outside of rollerblading. I mean, here's a guy who's taken a very, a very distinct and very um, well-developed parkour influence and parkour ability and put that onto skates so why aren't we presenting what he can do to the people in parkour why aren't we presenting it to them and saying here's a way for you to expand your love of parkour in ways that you couldn't do on your feet alone but because that doesn't fit with the story and the identity and the the game that that old 90s Senate movement had given us, we write the whole thing off and we ignore it. You know, oh, he's using his hands. You can't do that. That's that's breaking the unwritten rules. <laughs> he's, not, he's not wearing, you know, he's not wearing baggy pants or whatever these days. He's not wearing tight pants.
0: There like, is a very... He's, spe- not
1: wearing, he's not wearing all black. He doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't promote that guy.
0: There's a very specific skating uniform right now, and uh, it's straight out
1: of straight out of a zero video from like ten years ago.
0: Not only that, but it's so funny. Um, uh, the uh, like Adam Johnson when he comes out with a new video, it's like the people who are in those videos are just pretty much in charge of the proje- progression of skating. It'll be like, okay, X grinds the lower bars of rails, fakie five forties on street. Just, like, you can see how the whole thing is still very uh, linear in its progression.
1: And don't get me wrong, all of that's cool. Of course. All of that's cool. And in AJ's defense, there's a lot of content he puts out that doesn't go onto the DVDs, that is much broader and much more diverse. And a lot of it, you know, I've got on my hard drive and I love it. So um it's not that the skaters aren't capable of it it's not that he wants to hide it i think it's more like i was saying before about the bean counters he's got to make what sells you know i mean the amount of money that he puts into into him and the team putting one of these videos together he's got to look at it while he's editing it and say you know remember i've got to make 30 grand back on this kind of thing i've got to i've got to sell a bunch of this and I mean, he knows I'm not going to buy one, so he doesn't need to make me happy. You know what I mean? He's got to make, make the kids happy that are going to buy it. And if that's they want X-Grinds and they want, you know, whatever else, that's, that's what they're going to get. <sighs> that... <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is the, the point that I keep coming back to, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is what? going to sound so horrible to say.
0: Okay, let's, okay, do, it. let's
1: do it. Day, and that's why I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm that guy, right? <laughs> um, the, the problem, if you're trying to identify it, is the consumers themselves, the, the, the rollerbladers themselves, but it's not their problem to solve. You know, it's this, it's this horrible catch-22 where people don't want to pitch the possibilities of rollerblading at them because they won't buy it But if they're not pitched those possibilities, they're not going to want – they can't want them until they're there. You know what I mean?
0: That's where it's like can't everyone hop off the sinking ship, get on their own little boats for a while, and then we'll all meet up. And
1: There's got to be another boat. There's got to be a better boat. You see, that's why people get into the lifeboat at all because they know it's going to float, but the one they're on is sinking.
0: You're going to have to drift for a while on your little lifeboat before you can get on a new boat. There may not even be a new boat.
1: But, but this is exactly what I'm saying. If, if you're on a boat that's not sinking, right, or you don't think that it's sinking, there's no need for you to get into the lifeboat yet. It's not until you look over the railing and you're like, oh, shit, the water's right there. Like, we've only got five minutes left. Boom. Lifeboat. It hasn't poured in a storm, right?
0: <laughs> Isn't there a little bit of, like, uh, delusion, though, in in rollerblading? <laughs> like, I, I, I...
1: A little bit?
0: <laughs> like, uh, I love it. I'll always say I love doing it, and I, I'll watch <laughs> edits, and... Um, but there's a not a lot... little bit of delusion
1: in rollerblading.
0: A lot, maybe?
1: I, I need to go outside and laugh my ass off. <laughs> what is it about... Um, I honestly think that, like, 80% of rollerbladers, when they look into the mirror, they see Jamie Thomas. (laughs) I I honestly think this.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, and then this brings up a a question that I'm always obsessed with. So, in the strike, uh, the write-up that skateboarding started coming up with... um, Tricks that kind of like came up with the technology if i 'm saying that right or, or there was something to identify with skateboarding that they had technology which was uh,
1: well I, i'm trying to remember it's been a long time um, I said something to the effect of what what changed what made skateboarding independent from surfing and what gave it its own two feet to stand on was that they started doing things on skateboards that weren't being done on surfboards now, it's not to say that it can't be done on surfboards, just that it wasn't being done. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's what created it as a... That, that's what developed it as a standalone activity. You were no longer just imitating surfers on the pavement because now you were doing things that the surfers weren't doing. And what made that possible was the progression in hardware. Back when skateboards still had, like, clay wheels or even worse metal wheels and like loose ball bearings in the middle of them there was only so much you could do before you were snapping those things in half you know or before you were snapping yourself in half you try and i mean not even an ollie you just try and do an acid drop down like two stairs three stairs you're going to break the wheel in half that's that's how it went so it wasn't until the polyurethane wheels were being made that skateboarders were like, well, "Wow, I can I can drop down these three stairs now and keep going. I'm going to try and do it down four stairs. I'm going to try and do it down six stairs, you know." And all of a sudden, the progression of what could be done on the on the board had all this potential that it had never had up until then.
0: From that that point of the, talking about the the progression of technology and the progression of tricks, so then where does rollerblading fit in where you start talking about the extra spin or jumping down three more stairs? Or uh, rollerblading—the culture seems to be obsessed with the idea of you know one more extra spin. Or if the disaster was a little bit bigger, um, then something great would happen, and you could show the uh, clip to people that would prove that rollerblading was great. What's? Uh, do you think that the progression of the technology is like? The, the style of rollerblading and what will be known as rollerblading style will be much different than what we think of it now?
1: Yes. I think there is so much potential in changing up the hardware design. And the way that we address this, in my mind, is by looking at the limiting factors of a conventional rollerblade skate. Right? So let's do that right now. Uh, Lightning TRS, which is still your, your default rollerblade design, right? Four wheels, in line, under the boot, rigid plastic cuff, all that jazz. Um, the first limitation there is grinding. And the best solution we came up with a long time ago for that was anti rocker. Right? Throw your anti rocker wheels in, you're good, you can grind whatever you want. But you can still roll over curbs and roll downstairs if you really have to, you know. It, it rolls better than, than freestyle because you can go over curbs and stairs. It grinds better than flat because your middle wheels are, you know, 100A or whatever. So it's a great solution. And although to me, from a design perspective, it looks pretty archaic and it looks pretty amateur, there's nothing that works better than it still. It's still the best working setup that we've got. Unfortunately, it really limits the rolling capability of the skate because you only have a very small amount of uh, urethane on the ground for grip and for shock absorption. You are asking those wheels to handle a huge amount of force and a huge amount of uh, responsibility as far as you being able to control the skates on pavement while doing what you do. And you can't stretch the wheelbase of the skate, you know, any further than maybe three quarters of an inch each way past the ball and the heel of your foot without losing all possibility of going around corners without picking your feet up. Yeah. Um... So, so you just can't do it. You can't extend. You can't. You can't extend that wheelbase. Now, a lot of people might listen to what I just said and be like, "What difference does that make to anything?" I'm going to give you the perfect example: the the drip drop gap that Haffy tried and failed. Yeah. Let, before, before anyone <laughs> before anyone hears what I just said and starts sending me death threats, um, he didn't fail. The hardware failed him. And that's the whole point that I'm trying to make. Coming down from that height on the hardware setup that he had, all you need to do is hit the tiniest crack, the tiniest imperfection in the pavement, and your skates practically are going to come to a dead stop. In that moment that he had to land that trick on on both feet, on four wheels, the you know, the the, the physical chemical properties of the urethane and the 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 science behind that hardware doing what it needed to do for him to be able to control the skates and maintain his balance and roll away it's a one in a billion it's practically impossible not going to happen um now uh, this was back when i assume he still had four by four wheels on the skates um Maybe just better quality urethane without changing the hardware design might have been enough. Who knows? But it's it's just a great example to look at and realize, oh, okay, he's capable of doing something. He's got the balls to actually throw it down, but the hardware bolted to his feet cannot keep up. It cannot do what he needs it to do. So in my mind, if we want to see stuff like that get done by skaters like him that's where the progression needs to come you know we can't just tell him oh get back up there man you've got it you've got it this time it's not it's not gonna happen yeah (laughs) so let's start looking at the 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 fundamental design principle of skates and say well where have we gone wrong you know like Part of us can just say, oh, you know, you need better wheels, get eulogies. Um, or we could say, well, maybe that's not going to be good enough either. And if it's good enough for today, maybe it's not going to be good enough for, like, the gap that you want to do next month, next year. Or a whole bunch of other stuff that you want to do. You know? And that was one of the things I really enjoyed uh, with doing metric frames was just talking to skaters that would come to me and say... I want my skates to do such and such. Can you make it happen? And just sitting and talking with them and theorizing about what ways we could change up the design and make it possible for this person to do what they wanted to do on a pair of skates that they couldn't do on the standard hardware that was you know, on the shelf at the skate shop.
0: What was the biggest, was that mainly uh, grinding with... Uh bigger wheel setup was that the main thing
1: well that that was mine but surprisingly it wasn't the skaters that came to me uh i'll give you a couple of examples um there's a a skater in australia tom sampson he had got himself a set of uh wheels that were made by uh tim door the guy that was making cosmo and at the same time tim was making wheels for skateboards under the brand uh cortec i think it was so tom had a set of cortec skateboard wheels that i think were about 28 millimeters wide up from 24 which is the standard uh rollerblade wheel width and he said what i want to do is i want to run these wheels flat on a set of uh, metric frames um so it wasn't so much something radical that the frame was going to do for him, but just that he wanted to run eight of these wheels that were like 51 millimeter and ridiculously, ridiculously hard uh, flat on a set of skates and see how it happened. And I think this was right around the time that um, the concept of putting together grinds and shuffles in variations... As if they were just one and the same thing was gaining popularity. Um, if any of you have seen that uh, Rob G section that was in uh, one of the Daily Bread videos, oh yeah, the... you probably know what I mean, yeah, just a real a really seamless transition between doing shuffle variations into grind variations to the point where it didn't even matter if you were locked on or on a flat service or on anything.
0: Oh, wait, I have to stop. Uh, Shuffle is the Australian version of slide.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I've been here long enough, you'd think I'd know. but Isn't it? Yeah. Okay, keep going. I still do shifties, mate. I never learned how to do royals. (laughs) Uh, uh, There was another guy. What's the guy's name? Uh, Park skater? Top of my head. Um, he won one of the IMYTAs. Selwyn. There you go. Selwyn, Selwyn Briggs. Yeah. Selwyn Briggs has really, really big feet and skates really, really big skates. And here I am trying to solve this whole, you know, make a skate that rolls like flat and grinds like anti rocker problem. And he comes to me and he says, "Well, you know what? He's like, my feet are so big and I can run a set of frames so long that you could actually make me six-wheel frames that were that were both any rocker wheels in the middle and then like, you know, two wheels front, two wheels back, so it's a six-wheel frame all up." <laughs> Serious. And we never got us we never got as far as actually getting it done. I was trying to modify one of the the pairs of metric frames I had to get it done, but never came together but just him floating the idea sent me off in a whole new direction as far as well wow i actually have a better understanding now of what's going to make escape work just just from us having the conversation
0: yeah yeah so this is the, or uh, do you have more to say because this transitions into something bigger
1: uh they're, they're the two that come to mind so keep going just
0: the idea now of a skater coming to you and having a vision for a certain style of frame in wheel setup, this is where I wanted to start talking about uh, UFS and what you uh-huh. think of UFS. So um, there's two questions. The first is kind of unrelated to UFS, but it is at the same time. You got a pair of Adapt boots recently. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, from a boot design perspective, uh, what do you... Have you had much time to enjoy them, or?
1: Oh, I really, really like them. Yeah. Yeah. the 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 quality of the materials looks great. the uh, The design itself is is promising. You know, I'm sure they've got work that they want to do, but uh, I'm very, very impressed with it. The biggest thing for me, uh, and I think I mentioned this to you, is that I I love the way that the old pre-UFS remedies work. When you take a pair of, of remedies, not rems, remedies, when you take a pair of them and you lace them up tight and you crank them down on your foot, you don't need ankle support. You are controlling the skate through the footbed, through the sole of your foot. I love it. It's like wearing a pair of tennis shoes. You can you can point your toes when you jump and when you land. You can carve bowls like, like... It just feels like no other skate. Um... It's been a long time since I've actually been on a pair, so I don't want to say that being in the Adapt boots is exactly the same, but it certainly is reminiscent. When I get on the Adapt boots with the big V-cut that they have in them, uh, I'll lace them up tight on my foot. I won't use the strap up top. I won't lace them all the way up through the eyelets. And, uh, and it's the same feeling. It's, it's the same sensation of skating. Mind you, when I do that, I'm not I'm not doing drop rails, you know. I'm not, I'm not coming coming off a handrail halfway down and trying to land on the steps and not, you know, break my feet off at the ankles. It might not work for that, but um, but for the style of skating I do, love it, absolutely love it.
0: That's closer related to my style of skating that I've always found. Um, uh, Remedies were the first boots that really changed my style of skating, and and you were the first person who I heard say controlling the skate through the footbed and then i just realized holy shit that's exactly how i use my skates
1: yeah because Uh, i mean as as a skater the the muscles in your lower leg and the muscles that control your foot should be pretty well developed and you should have the skill level to to control the skate in that way i mean i know there was a There was a big push amongst basketball players for a long time to be wearing high-cut boots. But then they started rebelling against it and saying, you know what, if we have all this support, you know, in the high-cut basketball boots, it doesn't require for our leg muscles and for our ankles and for all that stuff to be as strong as what it could be. And we'd rather build all that up naturally and learn how to use it naturally because that's an advantage. Then all of a sudden, you see a whole bunch of basketballers out there in low-cut shoes, and they're, oh. out, they're out there in low cuts because it's better for them to have what they need to get the job done as a part of their body, rather than as something that they strap on to their body, rather than as the shoes that they lace on. And I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I I understand that under in certain situations you want all the support you can get, but the way that I see most rollerbladers skating these days, I would take the remedies over, you know, a a rigid plastic cuff any day. Yeah. um, I think even Dustin... Sorry, let me just finish this. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. The The fact that Chris Haffey can go out and do... can go out and go above and beyond what anyone's ever done and be doing it on remedies with, you know, without the cuff and without that rigid plastic ankle support surely that shows us it's not necessarily the right way, but at least a viable way, you know, it's a way you can do it. You don't have to skate remedies, but you can't look at them and be like, oh, I can't wear those, my ankles would break.
0: Exactly. I'll never forget when I I had a couple years skating other skates and I went back to um, cuffless rems. And I remember, like, uh, my ankle muscles were sore, but in a really good way that I hadn't been using these muscles. And uh, I think a lot of people mistake um, floppiness sometimes, or or lack of ankle support, for just their muscles aren't built up right yeah. there.
1: Um, but if you work through it, like the rewards, you know, the
0: King Fifty Fives, another skate, same yeah. same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I actually just found another pair of them on uh, on Craigslist not long ago.
0: God damn it! How many? Um, how many boxes of wheels? Because I got in that original. <laughs> I know you were one of the people that I was fighting with in a lot of. I would be like at work doing the eBay auctions, and I ended up getting four. But how many did you get? Did you get uh, more than
1: four? I have enough wheels to put pretty much every wheel company in the industry out of business. I'm you fucker! But, I, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Chill, chill. Guys. I'm not going to. <laughs> i just love hearing hearing all the shit talk like (laughs) uh oh they're made in china and they're probably really really bad now and they don't work anymore and don't don't buy that guy's wheels just keep buying my wheels whatever
0: (laughs) i got the um i think i was on the same set of 57s face Uh face wheels before i had won any of the auctions but on the europe trip for better than baseball it was two months skating a lot, and I brought an extra set, and I didn't even change them. Skating <laughs> flat, and it's like <laughs> people try and say that they're not as good. Oh god! And I love the '60s, the '60s with the core. Do you? Yeah. You got a bunch of those.
1: Yeah. Just but how they're all, they're all I got. I didn't get any '57s or '55s or anything. What um, are all the Tom Heiser blanks?
0: And. What a great wheel to have a, a big stock of. There's not even a wheel that you can buy that's like that wheel.
1: Well, that was the purpose of buying them all was to build, to make a frame that was optimized for that wheel and be able to sell the bottom end of Escape set up complete. Because that was one thing that I was really, really uh, struggling with as far as metric was concerned. You were trying to design the frame and build the frame to be optimized in every way but you didn't know what wheels people were going to run and even if you knew what size wheels they were going to run you didn't know the profile and nothing was going to stop them from changing those and putting different wheels on and maybe i had access to wheels that they didn't have access to so it became it became a real big problem here i was trying to develop a frame you know to run 60s or 62s flat without realizing that not very many people had access to wheels like that. Yeah, who, yeah. Does, who does make a sixty uh, today? Yeah, I don't even know. Under maybe, cover. maybe, maybe Eulogy. I don't know. I think a lot of people are pushing wheels as fifty nines, whether or not the mold's actually that size. I don't know. So yeah, that's that's another thing that that's another thing that might shake the kids' belief in uh, in their industry. Next time you buy a set of wheels, measure them up and see how close they are to the size that's actually written on them. <laughs> Serious. You, right? Eulogy was trying to sell wheels at one point that were like 55 and a half. Well, I worked I, as the marketing a marketing tool. One, I, of I, pro, one of their pro skaters had a fifth, And I'm like, get fucked. There's no way you made a new mold for a 55 and a half millimeter wheel. There's no way. I you think I... Just they're just trying to differentiate the wheels to make it look like they have this wide product range.
0: I think I bought some of those. It probably worked for me.
1: Measure them up, bro. Probably, <laughs> 54s, 55s, 56s probably all came out of the same mold. Different graphic.
0: Shit, that would be a really good <laughs> business strategy.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, what, I'm, what I was saying there is that it's probably a good marketing tool to sell a wheel as 59, even if it is a 60, because of the way that a lot of the frame companies advertise their you know their maximum wheel size
0: is yeah which is kind of like between 58 and 60 right now isn't
1: it and and not only that it's like it's like the way that companies will sell stuff for like 999 you know what i mean people might look at it and be like 10 bucks that's too much but if they look at 999 it's like oh cool <laughs> right so <Some> of- <laughs> I'm I'm just, I'm just guessing there might be a lot of rollerbladers out there who look at a 60 and be like, I'm not a skier, you know, I'm not a rec skater. I'm not buying those. But if they wrote 59 on the same wheel, like, I don't
0: know. Oh, that's so true. So
1: I'm just saying, I, I don't think like that, but I assume that that might be the way some people think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good way to say that. Um, so, so UFS, uh, first question related to the adapts. Um, are you surprised that no, like a new boot company comes out, that nobody's made a uh, non-UFS skate?
1: Well, I, I think that Adapt has the potential to, and I hope they capitalize on that potential. Basically, any, any skate company that's that's making carbon shells now has the ability to do that, right? Especially when you look at Adapt, because the sole plates are machined, Right. So there's no mold for the sole frame. There's no mold for the, for the boot frame that dictates what mount it uses. They could quite easily capitalize on that. Having said that, the frames need to be available. You know what I mean? Like, No skate company is going to bring out a boot that is not compatible with UFS because it's an unskateable boot. People would have to make their own frame to go on it. What I hope ADAPT does, and they certainly have the potential to do this, is to make a boot that is compatible with a new standard while at the same time being backwards compatible with UFS. That way, people can run UFS frames whenever they want, all the time. But the boot also allows for a new standard and for new frames to be made if someone wanted to do that.
0: Oh, I think that's so smart.
1: And... Again, as I was saying before about uh, Rollerblade and Tom Heiser, there are companies out there that are in a position to move over to a different standard or to a new standard if that standard were to take place. But again, some companies got to make it happen. You know, The way I would compare this is to uh, anyone who's familiar with, uh, with BMX companies, Hoffman Bikes in the mid-90s Changed a lot of standards. They changed standards for, you know, the diameter of handlebars where they would meet the stem. They changed standards for um, uh, headsets, head tubes, steerer tubes and forks, all kinds of things. Um, So a lot of what Matt Hoffman was doing on bicycles built under the old standards was just snapping them in half. And... It wasn't enough for him to go to you know, his old sponsors like Haro and say to them, oh, you need to change this, you need to make this thicker, you need to make this stronger, you need to make this work better because they were trying to sell them to people who just wouldn't be able to bolt their frames on to different stuff. So he goes so far as you know, starting his own company and he's like, well, here's the new standard. The downside is if you want to participate in this standard, you have to buy the stuff from us. You know, you can't put the forks you've got into a frame with the new head tube standard; it won't work. You've got to buy both from us. Luckily enough, he had a big enough reputation, and he was making good enough hardware that Hoffman bikes succeeded in doing that. They succeeded in making people buy the stuff from them, and making other companies, you know, like Haro, who who he had ridden for prior. Start looking at that and be like, oh shit, we, we better get on board with this new standard, or in a year, we're not going to be selling any BMX bikes.
0: That's where uh, Kato made the remedies, and um, some of the stuff that have, like, people would talk about ankle support, and some of the stuff that Carlos and Hafy did on those old models of remedies was huge. Yeah. And uh, there's still a lot of people that that technology, obviously. There could have been an alternate universe where maybe our uh, REMS were produced by K2 or Solomon, but that didn't happen, where um, there is still like a lot of, you know, the V-cut technology and everything um, is replicated of REMS, but that could have gone... REMS, Remedies could have been the standard of all skates. But what is that about the consumer in rollerblading that they'll always go for the hot marketing?
1: Um... Well, hang on a second. Let me, let me say something about what you just said that probably doesn't fit with that question. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> the Rollerblade, the company, got got involved purely based on inline skates, right? That was it. We've got this new design. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inline roller skate. We're going to start this company called Rollerblade. We're going to pump these things out. Cool. If you look at companies like K2 and like Solomon they got into it from a skiing background. So they were looking at rollerblades as, oh, this is something that's similar to skiing, so we could get involved and make similar products. Um, And maybe they thought that way because of the fact that rather than using a leather skate boot, like ice skates commonly use, rollerblades were using the, the molded, shell, you know, the Rossi's shell. So a company like Solomon was able to look at that and be like, hmm, we could do that because we make molded ski boot shells. So we'll just mold some, you know, shells that are like ski boots but that are for rollerblades and everyone will, will love it. And both of those companies, Solomon and K2, have kind of turned and walked away from really being passionate about inline skating or really being passionate about making inline skates because it didn't really work for them the way they were expecting to. Skiers don't rollerblade in the summer. They don't do it. And it was probably a mistake for them to look at the hardware and think that the actions were going to be the same, because when you put on a pair of rollerblades, the action that you are doing, it's skating. It's ice skating. It's not skiing. They're, they're totally different. And I know that a lot of companies were trying to promote it that way for a while. You know, you see these like, you'd see these PR blurbs of people dressed up in, you know, brightly colored, you know, lycra and stuff, with a pair of ski poles in their hands on rollerblades.
0: The opening shot of one of the most famous ski movies of all time, *Blizzard of Oz*. Uh-huh. Um, Greg Stump. The opening shot of that is a dude, I think, uh, doing a jump. Over the camera into a hill bomb, and nice. I don't know if Rollerblade would have paid for that, but that's kind of relates to you know why would why would they not market to parkour Matthew Ledoux to parkour people? But um, it it is true that inline skating is more of a precision activity trick wise, and then again with the skiing thing, the speed control, right? Does it come well, back? But, to-
1: yeah, exactly. The conversation we were having before, you you put a pair of poles in your hand, like if, if you're an accomplished skier. Let's, let's say you're someone who's gone skiing every winter for the last, like, ten years. You put a pair of rollerblades on your feet and a pair of poles in your hand and try and go down, like, an asphalt hill, you're going to die. <laughs> no, I'm serious. you in the jungle. You have no idea that what you want to do on this hardware is not going to work. And, and you're now, like, officially dead before you get to the bottom of the hill. And I'm sure that happened to countless, countless numbers of people. Um, But the point I'm making is that companies like Solomon and K2 maybe got into rollerblading from a very different position than what the rollerblade company got into it and a lot of the companies in our industry, the way they got into it. They got into it purely based on the inline skates and there wasn't necessarily a background in skiing or a background in any other hardware manufacturer or hardware distribution that they were trying to expand on.
0: I'm surprised K2 didn't redesign frames because the the soft boot, the idea of making, you know, a shoe, making skates more comfortable and the their sole frame design being attached to the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah the sole yeah. frame the, design. I'm surprised they didn't go like even further with that, but I guess the, that's a the whole basic, different story.
1: The basic fatty design was so far ahead of its time and they could keep expanding on that basic design and make our hardware something that is still way ahead of its time. It's, it's a crying shame they haven't done that, um, and especially as far as UFS was concerned because you know they, they got a bit big for their boots as far as patents were concerned, um, not necessarily in response to, to ground control and H-blocks, but in response to Solomon and soft boot skates and Solomon kind of turned around and scared the crap out of them as far as UFS was concerned. And at the time that I was speaking with them back in like 2001, they weren't really sure they wanted to make a UFS skate because they thought Solomon was going to take them to court straight away. And I'm like, well, you found the right guy. You know, you don't need to make a UFS. Like you guys can do so much better than that. And, and people are going to, like buy your skates and not buy UFS stuff anymore. You you have the power to force the other companies in the industry to change the standard and to make it better. So
0: that's where the playing field still exists right now.
1: Exactly, and I'm glad to say that when they didn't listen to me and came out with the uh, the moon boot skates, whatever they're called, the 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 Doctor J. J-looking skates. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the nemesis and <laughs> <in> the transfer. <laughs> the the stormtrooper boots yeah um, I had nothing to do with that very very proud I keep that in my resume I keep a big blown up picture of that skate and show people that I that's everything that I told them not to do
0: one thing that that I that is to that boots advantage was um, how it was like a snowboard boot and Pat Lennon in leading the blind it was like the first large like almost like a skier snowboarder type section on rollerblades that he was in those or no he he was in those boots for some of that section
1: dude has got the perfect style for for those for k2 yeah you know i mean in in the 90s k2 had a certain team and a certain representation of where they wanted to see skating going and i loved it i loved it um they killed it they had there was there was a turn in the late 90s where they started supporting a lot more of the the skaters that were able to to win the ASA comps and to do really well in the X Games and stuff like that. And I can understand wanting to do that, but at the same time, it didn't really fit with what they had done so far. And then a skater like Pat Lennon just, just perfectly represented the way that they saw what was possible on skates as being a little broader and a little more diverse than what was being done you know with a lot of the other popular companies at the time whether or not the skate helped i don't know some people really love that cuff that was on that skate some people really hate that cuff that was on that skate uh, from a design perspective there's no way it works there's Dead. no there's no way it works well people would, people would break them <laughs> yeah they would break them because it's it's trying to Strain your ankle in a position that is the exact opposite of the way your leg wants it to go.
0: The King 55, the internal cuff, was that... That was different, though.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about the King 55 cuff. I'm talking about the Stormtrooper cuff.
0: The Oh, oh, that the... Thing, that thing was terrible. Oh, that came from... Wasn't that just from snow a snowboard boot or something?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That The action... The action of what you do on a snowboard is nothing like the action of what you do on a pair of inline skates.
0: The original K2 cuff is still sweet. <laughs> oh, and that's where you're saying the fatty was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, the, the guys that had a hand in designing that and making that, legends. Um, I mean, I, I don't know all of them. I know Scott Crawford had a lot to do with it. I know Tom Heiser had a lot to do with it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> i still I still search eBay for those skates on a daily basis
0: king fifty five or just any of the original'm I'm, I'm
1: still i 'm still stockpiling late 90s k2s <laughs> Thank you seriously like when, when i when I see you again in person i 'm going to take a, a crisp clean dollar bill out of my wallet and i 'm going to give it to you
0: <laughs> I remember i messaged uh, I messaged Tom about those face wheels and I was like, Hey, your pro wheel is going for bulk on eBay. And I remember got, a, I got a message back and he just, he, he said, I forgot how fast those wheels are. Yeah. That, um, I mean, another, uh, another note that those wheels are awesome. The, the that was another thing.
1: The size think- is perfect. The profile is great. The whole core hub makes them a lot lighter, makes them spin up a lot more quickly.
0: And guess what company funded those wheels? Uh, Wasn't it? Uh, it was K two. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: They were just killing it.
1: Go on with that for a minute. This uh, I was, I was trying to talk Tim Dorr into making the sixty two millimeter wheel, the flywheel, with the Rene Holgren hub. Uh, if you've ever seen it, the Rene Holgren hub's got like the bigger hole core than what the other wheels did. So the Holgren's were fifty nine. But if he if Tim Dor had put that hub in the flywheel mold and made like sixty two, whole core, ugh, <sighs> oh, I slept I slept dreams about wheels like that. <laughs> so much speed, like you you almost fall over backwards like rocket powered skates. So much speed.
0: I know exactly. it makes a difference with that with that core. Definitely, yeah. oh, oh, I'm. I'm was gonna ask you the difference between flat heel and uh, and raised heel skates. What's what do you uh,
1: think? I I don't know the I don't know the biomechanics of it. I prefer the flat heels. Um, I mean, even in the even in the shadows that I have now, the rubber heels just gone altogether.
0: That's how Josh skates them too.
1: And I have a, I have a pair of like um, I guess you'd call them driving shoes. You know, like uh, like Adidas or Puma uh, driving shoes, where you don't really have like a heel lift in the shoe. Okay, yeah. And the sole stretches all the way around the back of the heel because in a car that's kind of where you've where you've got your heel resting on the on the floorboard anyway. Yeah. So I I, I like running all skates very very low in the heel. The original uh... pulling the I was even pulling the the rubber wedges out of the Deshi carbons and skating them flat-heeled as well.
0: Really? Yeah. The original Remedies, though, had a heel lift. And the original Rollerblade Lightning would have had a heel lift, like, built into the... Oh, no, never mind. Remedies were... Uh, Lightning had a heel lift in the boot, right? Or did it not?
1: Yeah, yeah like 12 mil, I think.
0: And then... Half inch. Remedies. Was that in the frame? Yeah, they had a heel lift too, didn't they? Yeah. And is that, um, is that more of a natural sk- skating stance? Just more on the balls of the feet?
1: Uh, man, I, I I don't really know the, the science behind it. I, I know I prefer the flat heel. Um, I think I remember around the time that uh, the, the King 55s were released scott crawford saying something about it i think he preferred it on vert it gave a more uh neutral stance between you know going forward and going backwards something like that
0: yeah that makes sense that makes sense
1: i and then... I, I, I i'm not in a position to say that one's better than the other i don't know yeah but i, but I definitely prefer the flat heel
0: yeah, I still don't know. I, I love it. It's, it's both. still
1: lifted a little bit, even in even in K twos. It's still lifted a little bit, but uh, but much less than you know, in like a traditional Rosie's mold. Group. It's
0: a much different style because that's where when people would try K twos for the first time, they would fall have the falling back feeling. But then once you got used to it, it would be really stable in certain ways and good for. Uh, I remember fakey was good with a flat heel. But yeah,
1: I I love it.
0: That's besides the point. UFS? Did we talk about UFS at all?
1: I think you were getting to a question.
0: Okay, that's right. <laughs> well, skate nerding, you get you get sidetracked. We talked about the possibility of non-UFS skates, but how limited um, design-wise is UFS for frames?
1: Um, it, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, I would say that. of skaters are probably perfectly happy with it the way it is. Um, There was a time where I was advocating stretching the mounts further apart in order to, you know, to run a a decently sized flat setup and still be able to have, you know, a good groove and a good uh, block design for grinding if you had, you know, 60s or 62s flat on the skate. Um... It isn't necessary. Uh, I, I I would still like to see it. It isn't necessary. I mean, if you look at if you look at the Celtic frames and the people that are running those with, with big flat setups, I was able to fit 62s flat in there. It's going to work. It, it's, it's good enough. You don't need to change UFS. Um, okay. I still think we could gain a little by changing it without really losing anything design-wise. But our industry is just not in a position to spend that kind of money or do that kind of work to make it happen. So it's not going to happen.
0: That's what kind of brings me to my next question. Have you done some mini-disc prototypes?
1: Um, yes. There's a, there's a few ideas that I have experimented with and have prototyped with. To try and work around the limitations of UFS and make a frame that's going to roll as good as flat and grind as good as as anti rocker,
0: and that's Whether, oh, whether okay,
1: or thought I've come up with something better in all respects. That's that's debatable.
0: <laughs> so I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to ask about. Um from the mini disc but uh the idea of speed control how has nobody come up with an idea um where the speed control on a skate changes do you think there's people out there that that have an idea
1: um did you did you see that that abt break that rollerblade was working on for a while
0: um was that way back when where you you put weight on the back of it and it would go down automatically like every time you lean back it would go down The, the
1: the brake pivots and there's like an actuator that's attached to the cuff so when you put the skate out in front of you and you're flexing the cuff back it actuates the brake brake pad goes down touches the ground weird it does work a little better than getting into the you know emergency braking position on a pair of rollerblades but you're still not in the natural flow the natural motion the action of what you're doing the way you are on a pair of skis or a snowboard for example
0: yeah that's where there's a lot that uh, Todd and I discuss um, that rollerblades should feel like if you were to maybe skate in your feet across you know wait like when you're in your socks there's some natural kind of side-to-side motion that happens when you're in your socks on a slippery floor, the way yeah. that you balance out, that um, um, I think if there was, and I have no idea how the hell to invent this, but <laughs> if someone was to put on a pair of, maybe they wouldn't be rollerblades, maybe they would be some new way of strapping wheels to your feet, and there would be a really natural way that the they use the weight in their feet and their ankles to control speed where it felt really natural. And I think that's where you say the side-to-side kind of give on a skis or snowboard, that's Mm -hmm. where you learn. So is that what, that's called the side cut? if
1: if If you're trying to come up with ideas there, look at a lot of these alternative skateboard designs have come out where people are trying to make the action of skateboarding more like snowboarding. I mean, you know, we've all seen ripsticks, we've all seen snakeboards. Um, there's a guy that came up with one that's become pretty popular recently, especially up around San Francisco, called Freeboards. Um, these are all ways of trying to make you know, the, the urethane wheels and the bearings and the skateboard hardware feel more like a snowboard uh, on pavement. And that'll, that'll give you a lot of ideas. And, but is this
0: where it brings up in, a bigger idea of um, the simplicity of a setup of a skateboard or rollerblades? Simplicity becomes important in terms of the design and the way all of the hardware works together.
1: Well, that's, that's certainly the beauty and the saving grace of rollerblades is that the design couldn't be any more simple than it is. You know, I mean, I, I joke about it being like the Flintstones car. Um, and it really is, you know, uh, a six-year-old could literally bolt a pair of rollerblade skates together and not get it wrong. <laughs> Whereas you look at, you look at like, you know, a bicycle, someone trying to bolt a bicycle together, you know, with all the brakes and with all the, the hardware and stuff, something's going to go on the wrong way. Something's going to get, you know, pinched or, or adjusted incorrectly it's not it, it, it's not as easy as putting a pair of rollerblades together, and even when things go wrong with a pair of rollerblades, you can you can find a way to make it work. You know, you can you can rig that stuff back together, and it's going to keep doing what it does. And I think that's one of the reasons why it attracts the people that it does. You know, rollerblading is huge for a much younger demographic than say BMX riding because the BMX riders, you know, it takes a little more skill or a little more attention or a little more mechanical ability to actually keep the bike running good enough that you can do the stuff you want to do on it.
0: Then um, would you say, uh, roller? could there be a design that could be adapted to uh, recreational and speed skating and... Uh, Aggressive or freestyle skating Could um, Could there be a more Open Frame or boot design Where it's more customized Or are we talking about aggressive skates There'll be a BMX type
1: standard For aggressive boots Um Us Us talking about You know the Us talking about the The mini disc of rollerblades coming up with something that is next level but not like way out in, in left field I think it's pretty easily possible and I don't think that the current manufacturers are really putting stuff out there that is that different by design but that they could quite easily do that and the designs are available you know there, there's plenty of people in positions to say there's a better way of making this work um I am at a loss to know why why it's not happening. I mean pa- PowerSlide obviously has money to throw at R&D. Right? Obviously they have money to th- every every two years they do like three or four clean sheet Kaiser frames that must cost them a fortune as far as molds and tooling is concerned. And none of them really work good enough to sell, and then they do the whole thing again two years later. So it doesn't make any sense to me that those designs aren't being put into action. And people might respond to that with like, "Oh, well, you know, we've got power blades now, and we've got blah blah blah." Now, none of that's none of that's new design. That's just rehashing old design that that we abandoned along the way. You know, like.
0: Well, and that, it doesn't make sense that, that people like you or I or Todd or Leon or Josh were so passionate about skating, but there's no uh, platform open for us to make open designs and for it to flourish. It's kind of this, uh, we're stuck in the old structure and we're always going to be frustrated and think of new things, but uh, that's where it's the, the ship idea, Right.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I certainly think that the well, the ship idea, okay. I or, certainly or, think or. that I certainly think that we have the ability to do that if we are looking at alternatives to the molding process, right? Because this is one thing that makes it very, very difficult for smaller groups or you know, smaller companies, groups of people to develop hardware and to develop a company that's going to, you know, make and sell hardware in skating is that they're competing against that molding process. Uh, and Metric was doing this right from the beginning. Very small startup costs, very high costs per item to produce compared to the molded frames. And it just doesn't put you in the, the same position to to compete It gives you a whole bunch of advantages, but it gives you a whole bunch of disadvantages as well. And the biggest disadvantage is that once once you make one of these, even just a prototype, once you make one of these and you show it to people, the idea and the design is now in the hands of the molders. And they're going to be able to pump out thousands of that thing for 10% of what it costs you to pump out each one. So you're done you know the the real the real opportunity for metric for machine frames for that concept to succeed is in doing custom orders because i know that there's people out there who are like you know what i really want a frame that's like just a little bit longer than what i can buy i really want a frame that's like in between the medium and the large sizes that i'm buying i really want to stretch this i really want to stretch that and when you when you have a design that allows for that flexibility and you can make one off frames then you're good you, you're set up to do that you can make those you can give those people what they want and the the molding process the companies that that use the molding process they can't compete with that
0: and then that's where it brings up a bigger question of the idea of the middleman and always a corporate structure are the ones who really disperse Ideas that will the the number of skaters that want a custom order always be so small that it's hard to sustain, or is mass gonna die and the whole idea of marketing as well, we go on?
1: I think I think when we've spoken before. I've mentioned Chris Muller and I've mentioned uh, S and M Bikes. This is a this is a company in Santa Ana, California, that has been making um, you know BMX bike frames probably for about. 20, 25 years now. Um, the majority of it's done in-house in America. Uh, the guy who owns and runs the company hires a whole bunch of BMX professionals or experts or almost pros or whatever you want to call them um, who know how to weld and who know how to do their job and they make a whole bunch of frames. Now, the great thing about s and is that when they offer pro model frames the guy whose pro model it is has literally specified all the dimensions, all the specifications of the whole frame. And he's done that to enable him to go out and do what he does on the bike with his style and for him to progress in the way that he wants to progress. And to people outside of BMX, it might look pretty subtle as to what the differences are between one pro model and the other, and what the differences are between one pro's level of style and ability and another R, but people who are into BMX as much as we're into rollerblading, they love it. They love it. That's what they want, and I think that it's what rollbladers would want as well if it were made available and if they were aware that there's more to a pro model than oh, what color do you want your buckle to be, you know? So I agree. So with with machining or with custom making hardware you're in a position to do that you're in a position for people like I was saying before like Tom Sampson and Selwyn Briggs and whoever else is currently a a top you know expert level skater to come to you and say look this is what I want to do on my skates we need to make the hardware different so I can go and do this and you make that happen and then skaters see it and they realize that that's the way to do it that If we're all skating the same frame and the same wheels, then of course we're all going to end up doing the same tricks with the same style because going above and beyond that is really hard without the hardware being able to support it. (laughs) You're getting more more than you you asked for, aren't you?
0: No, I like it. (laughs) Hey, if anywhere was to win in the variety department, Canada would win. So... Um, if there 's any place that we should start an industry from scratch,
1: if I could get time off work bro i 'd be there I want to do this contest so bad <laughs> as much as I love my job right now and you know it 's really really working out well for me that 's the catch at the moment until I have a few years' seniority under my belt like i 'm working every sunday i 'm working every day that i don 't want to work so
0: well, well t- technology, technology allows us to, to, do, to this do this stuff. stuff.
1: So you're, yeah. you're, almost you're almost traveling, traveling through, a, through portal. a portal.
0: Yeah, it's, down a, down. it's a change for sure. Um, uh, we, we, we've covered uh, everything yeah. that I wrote <laughs> down. Let's see. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> is, there is there anything, anything that you, that you want to add?
1: Uh f- I, I didn't plan anything. I just came on to answer questions. So uh, there isn't really anything I have to say that's in any way structured or in any way formulated. No. Well,
0: it doesn't but have to be structured or structured. formulated.
1: Um, nah. It's, I'm drawing a blank now. <laughs> well, well, it was very
0: refreshing for me and I'm sure for a lot of the people listening. Like I said... Uh, I'm not from a skate company or a hardware company. Neither are you. We're just two older people who have been on skates for quite a long time. And um, it's too bad that we can't podcast with people from hardware companies. But that's the way it is right now.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. You don't, you, know, you don't think there would be politics in something as small as rollerblading, but. Unfortunately, uh, well, maybe someone will be listening to this in the year 2030 and be like, "Wow, you couldn't actually podcast with hardware you've,
1: companies." You, you've seen *Idiocracy*, right?
0: Oh yeah, I reference it too often. You
1: know, you know, you know that dumb stare that he gets from people whenever he says something that they're just struggling, just fighting to comprehend, but it's not happening. <laughs> That's what we would get on the on the podcast with, like, you know. Engineers or designers from <sighs> from industry companies. Anything? Yeah. What we just said—that's that's what—that's the look we would get. Well,
0: that's where it's badass that we're doing this podcast and we're having these discussions, and we can share them openly with anybody who's interested and might spark ideas or might open up discussions. And it's more badass like we can type everything that we want, but actually putting your voice up out there is pretty amazing too. I'm surprised there isn't more skating podcasts. We always say that too.
1: Everything I just said, uh, doesn't apply to Carter and it doesn't apply to Tom Heiser. You guys have done, you guys have done a great job and, and love your work. So, Hey,
0: yeah. If you guys are listening, you should come on. I don't know if that would work, but eventually. So anyways, thank you, Jacob. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, no worries, once again, very refreshing and have yourself a good night.
1: Cool. Thanks. Um, you guys are, yeah, you and Todd are doing a great job too with mushroom blade. Love your work as well. And um, who knows what's going to come of it from here, but big things. Oh, thank you. Well, that's all for thank now. You. Signing off
0: mushroom blading mushroom podcast. Blade. I don't know what number know what this number. is. But uh, we love everyone everyone. listening. Thank Thank you. And bye, Jacob. Bye, Jacob.